Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of the Embers Collective podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This time around, we have myself, Lonan Jenkins, telling the story of Prometheus and Pandora, with music by Tim Carp. Sit back, relax, get comfy, have a nice warm cup of tea, put your feet up, and enjoy. First, there was chaos. The vast, immeasurable abyss, outrageous as a sea. Dark, wasteful, and wild. This was long before the gods appeared, of course. In the dim past. There was only the formless confusion of chaos brooded over by unbroken darkness. Sounds pretty fun, doesn't it? Two children of chaos emerged night which we are all familiar with, and Erebus, the unfathomable depth where death dwells. There was nothing else in the universe. It was empty, silent, endless. Out of this horror, darkness, death and chaos, something was born to challenge this order. Against all odds, love sprang forth, shining with wings of gold and began to banish the blind confusion. Love created light, with its companion, Radiant Day. What happened next was the creation of the Earth, which, interestingly, nobody really tried to explain. It just happened quite expectedly out of the love and the light. Mother Earth, or Gaia, was born, and she wrapped herself in Father Heaven, or Uranus. The first creatures born from Mother Earth and Father Heaven were monsters, somewhat like humans yet not. They had the strength of earthquakes, hurricanes and volcanoes. There were monsters with hundred hands and fifty heads. There were others named Cyclops because they only had one enormous eye in the middle of their heads and last came the Titans. These were all fearful creatures and Father Heaven was not a very good father. He hated his children and imprisoned the monsters with 100 hands and 50 heads down in the depths of the earth, while the Cyclops and Titans were left at large. Mother Earth was furious at the treatment of her children and called on the others to help her. Only one was bold enough, a Titan named Cronus who crept up on Father Heaven while he slept and cut his cock and balls off with a sigh, throwing them into the sea. As Uranus bled to death, the giants, the fourth race, were born from his blood. Cronus, or Time, was now lord of the universe and ruled with his sister queen, Rhea. Cronus had heard of a prophecy that one of his children would one day dethrone him. So each time Rhea gave birth, Cronus would swallow them whole as soon as they were born. Except for their sixth child, Zeus, who Rhea managed to smuggle away into the bosom of Mother Earth, who took care of him and raised him. Once Zeus was old enough, he led a terrible war against his father. A war that almost wrecked the universe. Zeus was victorious, largely because he released the hundred-handed monsters from prison who fought with thunder, lightning and earthquake, and also because two titans named Prometheus and Epimetheus took Zeus's side in the war. Zeus now ruled with his brothers and sisters from Mount Olympus as the undisputed lords of all. There were no human beings as yet. 
but the world was cleared of monsters and was ready for mankind. They even created a place for them to go when they die. Zeus passed the task over to Prometheus, whose name means forethought, and Epimetheus, whose name means afterthought. Epimetheus, who was scatterbrained and impulsive, first began making all of the animals and creatures, distributing all the claws and feathers and good eyesight and good hearing and sharp teeth and fur to stay warm and the ability to fly and swim and breathe underwater. When he was finished, Prometheus came to make humans to realise that all of the good things had already been used. So he was forced to make them, without any protective covering, without any claws and just a couple of leftover sharp teeth. So he decided to make them in a likeness of the gods, standing upright far nobler than the animals and set them out into the world where they wandered alone, unable to communicate, unable to work together, spending most of their time fighting one another. Whether they lived or died was in the hands of the gods who liked to play games with the humans. It's also worth pointing out that at this stage Prometheus had not yet created women. In fact, the concept of a woman hadn't even been thought of yet. Prometheus watched as his humans tried to eat but found the meat was way too tough and chewy. He watched as they stumbled around in the dark at night, often getting mauled by one of the creatures that Epimetheus had made, and how they shivered and died in the cold. And then he had an idea. One that he knew would really piss Zeus off. He crept to the top of Mount Olympus and touched a torch against the sun, causing it to flare up, before running as fast as he could, sprinting down to earth to share fire with the men. Once the men had fire, they could now cook their food. They could light fires to stay warm and see in the dark, protecting them from the beasts, and Prometheus was proud. Zeus was furious when he found out. Prometheus had given them a gift from the gods that had not been authorised by Zeus. He could not understand how or why Prometheus loved these mortals so much. He could not understand why Prometheus would want to help these insignificant creations. Jealousy surged through him. Did Prometheus love them more than he loved Zeus? And that jealousy turned to anger. And Zeus decided to bring pain and suffering to Prometheus's creation. To punish Prometheus, Zeus had him chained to a rock high on top of the Caucasus Mountains and had an eagle come every day and peck out his liver, which would regrow each night just in time for the eagle to come back again the following day. Zeus then turned his attention to the humans. He couldn't just let them live down there now without sorrow and without pain and suffering. So Zeus created a box. And in that box, he asked each of the gods to put a piece of suffering, famine, disease, war, sadness, loneliness, fear, shame. And when they were all inside, he sealed the box. To carry this box to earth, Zeus asked the god Ephestos to create a human just like Prometheus had done. Ephestos, god of crafts, sculpture and carpentry set to work. He decided to make his human out of clay. As an artist, Ephestos never copied but used others' work as inspiration and so it was true now. He looked at the form of what Prometheus had created and decided to change it. He put his own touch on it. 
With his hands, he shaped, carved and moulded the clay, adding curves and lines where Prometheus had not. He smoothed angles where Prometheus had not. It was a true act of love. And when he was finished, Ephaestus was immensely proud. He named his creation Pandora, which means a gift to all. The gods noticed that she was different to the other humans, and some were concerned as to whether or not she would survive down on Earth with this box. So, unknown to Zeus, they decided to sneak one more thing inside the box and seal it up again. Zeus congratulated Pandora on being the first woman on Earth, but told her that she must always carry with her the huge box wherever she went, whatever she did. He refused to tell her what was in there and warned her never to open it to look inside. Before she could ask any further questions, Pandora was sent down to earth in a thunderbolt with a huge box landing next to her. She tugged and pulled and strained at the box, trying to get it to move, but it was so much heavier than it looked. She tried wrapping her arms around it and lifting it up onto her shoulders, but it wouldn't move. She tried pushing and pulling, but it wouldn't move. She tried rolling, dragging. She even tried taking a big run up and hitting it with her shoulder to try to get it to move, but it would not. Despite all of her attempts, she could not move the box. She looked around and gathered bits of vine that were lying in the bushes and threaded them together and tied them to the box and then tied them around her waist and with much effort and strain, she tugged and pulled the box behind her and headed out into the world. The weight of the box dragged behind her as she tried to go about her life on earth, making it very difficult. She tried to hunt, but the box slowed her down, making it impossible to catch anything other than the slimy bugs and worms which she cooked using Prometheus's fire. She tried to swim in the sea and catch fish, but the box dragged her under the waves and she almost drowned. Everywhere she went, the heavy box weighed her down and exhausted her. She also realised just how lonely she was. She watched the other humans running around, busy, busy, always running somewhere. She tried to speak and communicate with them, but none of them would engage with her. Instead, they ran around, thinking only of themselves, looking at the ground, focusing on their own business. She tried to even keep up with them and speak to them, but the box slowed her down, held her back until she sank to the ground, exhausted. Nobody offered her help with her box. Until one day she decided she'd had enough. She looked around at all the other humans running without boxes, how easily they moved, how fast they could run and climb trees and get all the best food. Wait, she thought, why the fuck should I be carrying this box? What's even in here? Why am I the one with a box when all the others don't have one? Why should I carry this and not look inside it just because Zeus said so. Utterly fed up, she decided to smash open the box. She found the biggest rock she could. She carried it to the box, stood on top of it and brought the huge rock down, smashing the box open. What first erupted was a light and a sound. A sound that had never been heard before and would never be heard again. The light and sound attracted all the other humans from all over who began to run and leap towards the box and gather round it. And out of the box 
flew all of the pain and suffering that the gods had put in there, swirling, twisting, turning, spiraling like dark plumes of smoke out of the box. At first, Pandora and the other humans were terrified as they watched these terrible things fly out. But then they looked around and realized that together, in numbers, they were powerful. Well, help me then, yelled Pandora, and they did. They all looked at each other as if for the first time and opening their mouths to speak, realised that they could talk and communicate. I'll take famine, one human said. Who's with me? And a team of humans huddled around him to work together to build tools which could be used to dig and plough the earth and plant more food for people to eat. I'll take disease, another human yelled. And a team of humans gathered around him to begin to look at and test what plants they could use to treat and cure disease. I'll take war, another human yelled and the team gathered together to lay out a plan for peace communication and cooperation amongst all humans and one by one pandora watched as groups of humans took each of the pain and suffering and found ways to overcome them when everyone else was busy pandora turned to look in the box to see what she could take and to her surprise all that was left huddled in the bottom All alone was hope. Pandora looked around at the scene before her. The teams of humans working to overcome these adversities. She saw the communication, the drive, the perseverance and the love. And she realised that hope was well and truly there. As for Prometheus. While Prometheus stayed, chained on top of the mountain through all of this, he watched and his heart broke as humans first suffered at the hands of all that Zeus had sent them. But pride and love swelled up inside him as he watched them pull together to overcome, to learn, to grow and endure as a community. Prometheus never apologised to Zeus, never gave in. And so his name has lived on through many centuries, from Greek days to our own, as that of the great rebel against injustice and the authority of power. Out of Prometheus's act of love, Ephaestus' act of creativity, the gods' act of kindness and Pandora's act of rebellion, the humans formed their first society, the first community. And they looked at the gods on Mount Olympus and looked at Zeus's anger and tyranny and jealousy and decided to do things differently. Pandora was elected as a leader of this new society which was founded on the principles of fairness, equality, democracy, love and of course, hope. That was Lonan Jenkins telling you the story of Pandora. Thank you for that, Lonan. Um, do you want to tell us kind of why you chose that story? Yeah, it's it's quite a big one, isn't it? It's kind of got a lot in it. Um, it's got, you know, the creation of the universe as a starting point and then Prometheus and Pandora. And I actually think I... I think I was in... I think I was actually in Greece, in in Athens, when I first uh, started working on this story, and I was trying to decide, trying to decide on on a story for one of our events, and and 
I was like, oh, if only there was some inspiration around here for some good stories. And I was in the uh, Acropolis Museum and walked past, uh, I, I don't know, like a depiction or a statue of Prometheus stealing fire. And I was like, oh, this is this is a really interesting one. And, and I and I delved into a book and read a few versions of it. And then it just, you know, very naturally develops and grows into the uh, into the story of Pandora as well. So there's a lot in it. I think I think I'd I'd love to develop it further. I think there's so much to really get stuck into in this one, um, and it's one that I told years ago and kind of was really excited to revisit for this for this one. It's really nice, and the the way you've rewritten it is is pretty different to how I remember it. Um, is there? I don't know. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, the original story is is quite like a lot of ancient Greek myths is quite misogynistic. Um, the original story is that it's only men on Earth, and Zeus creates a, a woman named Pandora in order to punish men. And it's very, very similar to the to the Adam and Eve thing, um, you know, that women are sort of the the bringers of evil and that everything would be fine if it wasn't for for women. And, and the idea of curiosity is something that is very interestingly um, seen as being something very negative. So in Pandora, in the original, in one of the versions, or at least, you know, one of the common versions of Pandora's box, she is so curious about what is inside the box that she opens it and unleashes all of the bad things on planet Earth. But of course, Zeus is like like the Christian God is is an all knowing, all powerful God. So he knows if he gives someone a box and says, there's loads, I'm not going to tell you what's in the box, but you're not allowed to open it. He knows that they're going to open it, you know, and it's the same thing with, with the Garden of Eden. Like, if God knows everything, then surely he would have known that the snake was going to come and that Eve was going to try eating the apple. So it's this really, really interesting thing where the gods punish, punish humans, particularly in the form of a woman, um, for curiosity and and get, blame curiosity for all of these things. So that's the original story. And, and, and I was reading it and looking at the version that I've told before, and, and I just decided that I didn't want to tell that narrative anymore. Um, and I And I started to think about how we as storytellers have a very have a very important role in shaping narratives and in in this in and i think it's really important for us to really think about the responsibility we carry in the stories that we tell and the stories that we choose to tell and how we choose to tell them so if i choose to share a story that is inherently misogynistic asking myself why i'm choosing to reshare that narrative um i don't think we would actively share stories that are racist or that are homophobic or um in any way bigoted at least we would try very hard not to um so i i, I thought well why why am i choosing to tell a story that is inherently misogynistic some would argue you're messing with tradition um you're changing the past you're tearing down statues well, the the past will always be there, 
and people can find it if they want to. Those stories are already written down. They already are shared and exist. Um, I, I would argue that I, um, I, I want my storytelling to be forward looking and not backwards looking. I want it to be moving forwards and there will be people, there may be someone who listened to my story in a hundred years and go, wow, that was really, that was really, really like, it'll, it'll probably be like, I can't believe they're referring to people as women and men, like in our, in, like in a, in a less gendered society in the future. So there'll be, yeah, I hope so. And, and, but you know, we can only do what we can in the present. I think if we obsess with trying to protect the past, the past was really, really traumatic and damaging for people and, you know, really bigoted and, and, you know, people, the present still is, but I, I think the way to undo that is to not get bogged down by tradition and the way these stories are supposed to be told and reinvent them is, it's kind of what we've tried to do with Embers. You know, we, we very rarely share stories in their very traditional form. We try to, we try to rewrite them, reshape them. I don't think these stories, I don't think we should completely rewrite history and pretend like all this stuff never happened, but we should, um, we, we should form new narratives and form new traditions. I think as well, if you see, um, a community, let's say, as having a shared narrative in regards to its values, that changes over time as well. Um, and for example, it used to be that we believed in the divine right of kings in this country. King Charles I genuinely believed that he was put there by God until he got his head cut off. Um, and then we suddenly realised that maybe they weren't put there by God, actually, because how can you have your head cut off if you're put there by God? But that was the narrative that we told ourselves, that we had to be governed by these people. Um, and so you realise these things change over time and, and the stories that we tell ourselves as a society are part of that bigger conversation. Um, and so, But what I do think is quite interesting is whilst you can maybe change that story as Lonan did, I think that sometimes people can try and sanitize the past or sanitize history or people within history. And I think we have to be really careful not to judge people from the past with our values of today, because I don't think that human beings are that different, really, cognitively. I think that they just kind of live in they only have the information that's available to them, which constantly is changing. And what were considered decent values back then, we now would think are heinous in probably the same way in, you know, as you say, in 200 years' time, um, they'll be going, oh, my God, can you believe that they, I don't know, whatever it is, they lived in houses? Idiots. Disgusting. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why that could be wrong. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm 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 not sure I'm not sure that I agree that we shouldn't judge um you know the past and people in the past because really like I'm not going to be around in 200 years to hear people judging the way I've told that story and and actually I hope they are I hope they are picking apart my story and that things have changed and developed so I I I would argue we really really should judge the past and we should um Maybe judge is the wrong word, but we should dissect it and pick it apart and, and decide what bits we want to carry forward and what bits we don't. Um, and I think I, 
uh, yeah, and learn from it. And I think, you know, um, these stories sort of are are very are a very big part of um, the the sort of establishment of society. Like these Greek myths were became rolled into Roman mythology and then rolled into the Roman Catholic Church and became the basis to to a very uh, big movement. And so there is a lot. There is sort of relevant today as they were back then. But there's no one from ancient Greece going, how dare you judge me? Because, <laughs> you know, it's it's we've moved on. But they're still relevant today. Like I said, the Adam and Eve story and some of the biblical stories, people read that and believe that to be the truth. And 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 there there is there is I think it's as relevant today as it as it was back then. And, and these stories are still alive and still being told. I don't agree. I, I agree. I don't think we should write it out and and completely like sanitize history. But history history is there and you know unless we gathered up all the history books and all the books of greek mythology and burnt them i don't think me sharing a story is going to erase that i think it's it's presenting an alternative it's actually interesting because our our one of our most recent podcasts we had charlie wood sharing their version of pandora's box um which was a completely uh different um you know queer take on pandora's box which is wonderful so you know, I, I, I kind of like that we're presenting these different alternative versions that people can choose to listen to or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I think as well is that there is a lot of, whilst you're right that there, things do need to change, I think that there is some wisdom in um, in the ancients, in the old stories and in the old myths. Um, for example, like that character Prometheus, um, the way mm. he took fire from the gods. I always see that as a warning. And it is that, yes, um, of, you, you've spoken about how curiosity is being punished, etc. But actually, I think that if you look at where we're at now, we have Neolithic brains in like a feudal society with ultimately godlike technology. Like we can tap into the consciousness of each other. We're building um, AI. And it's really fascinating to see that story of Prometheus about fire, you can imagine some guy being like, I don't trust that fire. Don't use that fire. Don't use it. Don't use it. I don't trust it. Why would you put it in your house? Why would you put fire in your house? Are you mad? You know? And when you see where we're at now, where, you know, it's obviously a generational thing, but it being like, I don't trust these mobile phones, but they, I mean, they are objectively, they're bad. They're bad for us. In the same way that fire, if used in the wrong way, is objectively it's bad for us but we don't know if it's we don't know objectively that they're bad for us that that again we're holding on to the past i, I often think this about social media it's like okay social media is bad it means i sit on my own and i flick through stuff and yeah there is a lot of negative stuff that happens by doing that um however it might be that in a hundred five hundred thousand years time we're connected on a level that we never thought possible and the entire world's desires and and needs are met we, we we don't know it's probably mm. not it's probably just going to be ruled by yeah um, cool. in the same way like again. fire fire when used in the right way isn't bad fire's amazing and it's which is why why we've got to where we are now in the same way phones and social media and being able to connect to anyone around the world when used in the right way is incredible like the we've literally proved mm. that there is a zeitgeist like there is a global consciousness it's just that 
that global consciousness can turn into either sharing videos of cats or really really <laughs> hateful stuff <laughs> and like, like unbelievably <laughs> dark <laughs> yeah cats or <laughs> nazis that kind of is where social media goes and but has no well, oh, yeah sorry. i was just going to say it's it's that thing of i think that um it's always nice to see that people were kind of worried about the same but different things of yes by all means these are good but also know what you're dealing with that is god technology that is technology from the gods and you're just a human being be careful you know mm. i mean that's something that's something you could definitely work more into like the because it you know it's it's in the story prometheus's gift of fire is 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 life-saving for us and then it's it's actually Zeus's reaction to it that brings about all the bad stuff. Is Zeus's jealousy and envy and anger towards Prometheus's love for humans? But you know, definitely, may, maybe another direction with that story is to talk about what happened when Prometheus gave humans fire and how they ended up, you know, doing all these like wild things with it, and and some of it being really good and some of it being really bad. But I think what i tried to bring around at the end and i guess it feels really relevant for what's going on now is that you know before pandora comes down with the box of bad shit that from the gods um box of shit from the gods the, everything every the box you of know, box of bad of shit, shit. the gods the gods bucket <laughs> the gods shit in. the chemical um, <laughs> no i'm sorry for interrupting that's okay um, I think before, um, you know, before before um, Pandora comes out of the box, humans are in the story running around sort of looking at the ground, focusing on staying alive, focusing on hunting and killing and eating. And, and you know, it's very individualistic. And, and really, I know this is quite a privileged thing to say, but I think it's also pretty applicable now. But through through the suffering, they all actually pull together and work as a team and communicate and start chatting to each other and start taking it on to help with the different things that have come down the, the famine and the, and the war and the disease. And I, I believe, and this is, I guess, me putting my own, trying to put my own sort of my own message into the story is I believe that community and communication and cooperation are the ways to overcome these things and to try to try to 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 overcome yeah overcome these challenges and it's in some versions of that story that bit is kind of left off it's kind of very much just seen that these bad things are brought to earth and that's it we just suffer for the rest of eternity but actually we do have the ability to overcome these things when we want to and when we work together and when we communicate and create community and i think now that's probably more evident than ever before you know like we're we're going through this really really traumatic challenging thing as a planet um and we're all being kept isolated from each other and we're all not able to gather together and to to heal and to learn and to share stories and and It'll be so magic when we are able to do that again. But right now, it just feels like it's such a gulf. It's such a massive gaping thing that is missing in our lives. Because not only have we have we got this really traumatic thing going on, we're not actually able to get together and laugh and sing and dance and share and 
Um, and I, and I, and it'll it'll you know it'll be, it'll be interesting and potentially scary to see how that affects us, you know, as a as a planet. I think on that note we'll end it there. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode thirty three of the Embers Collective podcast. Next month, we are very, very lucky to be joined by the wonderful Candlelit Tales from Dublin, who are going to take us on an adventure into Celtic mythology. So stay in tune for that one. And in the meantime, stay safe and take care. Please find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, where you can give us a like, you can share the podcasts, and you can find our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts listening from. If you can, share it with someone who you think might enjoy it in these strange times. Thank you once again. Take care. Goodbye.